Welcome to Amplified, a podcast featuring conversations with prominent diverse voices in sports and sports media, brought to you by Venezia FC. I'm your host, Megan Reyes, and amplifying the importance of mental health through the lens of sports is a personal passion of mine. If you're also in the sports industry, or if you're an athlete, or if you're a fan, you probably already know a little bit about my guests, their athletic careers, and their accolades. So I'm skipping the superficial questions. Instead, I want to learn about their upbringings, how they've managed mental health and the idea of belonging, and their identity outside of being an athlete. In this episode, I'm speaking with Jordan Nixon, guard for Texas A&M's women's basketball team. You may know Jordan for her overtime buzzer beater to send the Aggies to the Sweet 16. But Jordan is more than basketball. We discuss her struggles with anxiety and depression. She gets vulnerable about body image and the mental toll of having to sit out for a redshirt year. I hope you learn as much from Jordan as I did. Let's get Jordan's story amplified. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me. I'm very happy to have you on the show. I want to kick it off by asking you, when and why did you first become vocal about mental health? Um, for a long time, mental health was, or my battles with mental health was my, my secret and my biggest secret. And I, I put in so much time trying to conceal my truth, right? Like that's, it's all a part of our truths. And, um, at some point, I can't remember the exact point, but I was like, to hell with this. (laughs) I can't do this anymore. I can't live this way anymore. So I decided to talk about it. And how long ago was that? Recently, I posted some things, uh, probably a couple months ago. But I guess my red, my the end of my red shirt year. So we're talking maybe spring 2020. um, I had told the person who means everything to me, my mom, um, just about the hard time that I was having and just how grave it had gotten. Um, Because I did, I was speaking to our one of our sports psychologists here at A&M, Dr. Lauren Craig, uh, for probably regularly starting February 2020, or maybe, maybe March 2020. Um, But yeah, when I, when I told my mom just about just how intense it had gotten, it felt like because she kind of encouraged me to speak on the things that I was feeling and experiencing. And so like, I, I, not that I needed approval per se, but she, she heard me and that was, that meant everything. I can relate to that. I, um, I think I had anxiety my whole life. I, it's, I don't, it's not something you develop. It's something you have. A lot of times it can be genetic. I think I had it my whole life. I just was a very stimulated kid as in that, you know, my parents had me in sports. There was school. Um, then I was a dancer. So I did ballet training and hip hop until high school. So it'd be school, it would be the studio, it would be rehearsal, you know, like a sport, you have practice and you're hours and hours perfecting your craft. You're always going. And then in college, I was in a sorority. I was around a lot of people. So I was constantly stimulated that I don't think the anxiety really sat in for me until I graduated college and I was living in Eugene. I was working at the University of Oregon and it hit me because it was, I would just go to work and I would come home and I just was there with my thoughts. And it was it was the most like terrifying feeling to experience anxiety, you know? And so what helped me was I started to journal. 
And I didn't know what I was journaling about. I just had a notebook and I was writing down thoughts and I was kind of using it as my escape and really just a place to get everything off of my mind. And it's helpful to this day. I still journal. I'm I'm a huge advocate for it. And so prior to our recording, I read a couple of your blog posts, which were incredible. And so for anyone listening, I definitely encourage you all to go read her blog post, especially if you're a woman hoops fan. Um, But when did you decide to start writing and how have you found that helpful? Um, summer, so more specifically June, 2019, that was what I thought was the most difficult time in my young life. Like I thought that was, that was going to be it. That I'd reached the worst of the worst. Like that was bottom and it wasn't, <laughs> but, um, that was the summer that I didn't attend summer school. I transferred from Notre Dame, um, abruptly. And I was supposed to, I had made the um, USA U19 Olympic team, um, but I didn't compete due to, I mean, there were a lot of things going on. I, I, three weeks after I transferred from Notre Dame, I was set to report for training camp. One week after um, transferring from Notre Dame, I committed to Texas A&M. My relationship with basketball, with self, with everything was in shambles. Yet I went to Colorado thinking, you know, this was going to help me. This was going to heal me or, you know, because I, in my mind, I thought healing was something I didn't realize how much healing was necessary from my experience. And then, uh, so yeah, I mean, there were just a lot of things that happened. So ultimately I ended up not participating, um, in the, in competition that year. So I went home uh, at the end of training camp uh, and I spent that summer in New York City battling, <laughs> battling with with anxiety, battling with things that I'd never I didn't know I didn't have a name for at the time um, and just trying to understand myself and why I felt how I felt and why certain thoughts were going through my mind. And that's where journaling came in. And that's writing is something I've always enjoyed. But I did myself a huge disservice at a young age, at the the right age of 15, uh, not the right age, 15, um, when I decided that I was just a basketball player. I, I devoted myself completely to basketball and that became my identity. So once my freshman year came around, it was more like a well, it has to work, you know, playing it like there's there's no other. It, it ha- It's me. I am basketball. But once it was kind of taken away from me and once it started to look a little bit different, I was like, well, who am I really? I, I mean, there there has to be more. I know there's more. So summer 2019 with my journal, that's what I was trying to figure out. Um, I wrote a screenplay and started doing all kinds of different things and drawing and just being creative in different ways. But writing I have no concept of time when I write, like not at all. And uh, I guess I kind of discovered a passion in all of that. That's incredible. That's so cool. You were able to find a creative outlet for it. How have your coaches, teammates, family members, how have they responded to your, your blog posts? Honestly, they, they love them. And this is something that, so this particular thing. So um, I wrote, I wrote thick, right. About body image and, um, my just sentiments about it. And the way I write is just very candid. It's kind of how I speak. So it's just a, an informal prose. And, uh, I didn't write it for, for anyone but myself. 
because I I'm in the business now of speaking my truth and living in it, basking in it truly. And it doesn't really matter who it, it didn't really matter who read it to me. I mean, it didn't really matter to me who read it. However, I never in a million years would have thought that Gary Blair, my head coach, would have read it. But my assistant coach, uh, Coach Kelly Bond, she said she told me that she sent it to all of the coaches. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I didn't. What, what do you mean? <laughs> so she said Coach Blair was truly impacted by it. So following that conversation I had with her, Coach Blair calls me up. He's like, uh, you need to be a writer. <laughs> so he and I'm like, what do you mean? I don't what, what do you, it, it meant so much to me because, again, I didn't write it for anyone but myself. But I felt like there are people out there who can who will, who's who will resonate with this, who will feel something by who will be triggered by this. So um, if I could help one person, I was I was afraid to release it. But I, I felt like if I could help just one individual, I could, you know, I, I'd be proud. So, um, but yeah, when Gary Blair and the rest of the coaching staff read it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. But kind of kind of nerve wracking at the same time because it's so personal to me. Yeah, it's a very deep level of vulnerability, and I'm I'm proud and I'm glad you wrote it. I'm glad you shared <laughs> with you. us. Um, and so we'll get, I want to touch into the writing a little bit later, but you know, you did mention your blog post thick, you wrote it back in May, which was your experience with body image and basketball. Yes. When did you first start having negative thoughts about body image? If you're comfortable sharing in college, just because of when you work out, when you have like strength, conditioning, athleticism, all of a sudden become, you become hyper aware of your body. And it's not a hyper awareness is not necessarily a bad thing, but you, there is that comparison piece. It's uh, when we're in the weight room, like, oh, I'm lifting this and you're not, or I look a certain way after training for a certain amount of time. And, you know, you look different, but you're, as you mature, like in college, you know, you kind of get out of that little, I mean, some people develop it faster pace, slower, you know, at different speeds, but overall you start to develop into or kind of settle into your body and things like that. So maybe you look a little bit different going into your freshman year of college and you did your senior year and then your sophomore year and your junior year. So you're going through all these changes mentally, physically. Um, But yeah, that comparison piece is just, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic um, more so in college than in high school because strength and conditioning becomes I mean, I don't know how a lot of high schools did it, but it personally wasn't something that we did my first two years of high school at my first school. And then my second school was a little bit different. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I just become I became hyper aware my freshman year and my sophomore year was probably I had the hardest time um, dealing with. the the healing process. I was going through all of that and trying to get acclimated at Texas A&M and there's just a lot going on um, mentally. And it, I, I'm a, I'm a stress eater. (laughs) That's, it's something I, it's not that I'm proud of it or anything, but it's, it's the real, it's, it's what I do. And now that I've kind of, I've learned to cope with anxiety and depression and things of that nature, like I can kind of control it and, and I'll say, you know, it's okay. Well, let's do this. Let's do that. And uh, sometimes I, I do allow myself to just 
be. But um, I became hyper aware in a more in a more intense way, I guess, around that time because I wasn't playing. And when you're not playing, you maybe you know it's different. It, you're not you're not as active, so you you know you kind of have to change your habits in a way. But I I gained weight. I gained, I don't know how many pounds I gained, but I looked different, but I didn't, I guess I didn't, I I didn't, I wasn't in a place to, to stop myself from doing it or to stop it or to, to work towards, because I I felt like, I felt so, I don't know what the word is, low on the inside to where it just, it was just a reflection of it, I guess that that's kind of the best way I can put it. Um, but I, I realized that I wasn't the person that I knew myself to be and around, um, this is actually something I'm writing. I'm writing a collection of personal essays, but this will be featured in that. But basically in, um, January of 2020, yes, January, 2020, I went on a diet because I was just like, well, I'm not happy. And I'm not happy mentally, emotionally, but I I don't need to tack on more of a physical burden to that as well. So I kind of just started working towards that. I I lost some weight um, and then COVID came. And that's when I mentioned in 2019, I thought I hit bottom, but (laughs) 2020 was a different and unforeseeable kind of situation. You, you touched on it a little bit when you were talking about, you know, the conditioning and um, how with the training and being in college. Normally, when I think of sports and body image, particularly negative body image, I think myself and probably others would automatically first think of gymnastics or cheerleading or sports like that. How, what role does negative body image play in basketball specifically? Oh man. Um, and I, I I was thinking about this. So we, I think a lot of it stems from athleticism, right? So who can jump the highest, who can run the fastest, but you have in basketball, you have positions, right? Or in other sports as well, but basketball, you have positions, point guard combo, or you have wings. Um, you have small forwards, you don't really say small forward in women's basketball, but you have power forward, which is the four player. And then the five players, you know, center. And I, I touched on this in thick as well. So the five players are typically, you know, you want them to be tall, as tall as possible. You want them to not have weight on, but you want them to be solid in the sense that they can, you know, bang down there, get rebounds, things of that nature. The four players are typically, um, also tall, but they can, they can move probably a little bit faster than the five or, you know, these things change. But if I'm generalizing, um, these are the ideals. Um, the three players are not, you know, typically taller. Um, they move like guards, but they can also get in there, grab some rebounds, things like that. And if you're wing players, there's the most variability in that range. Um, as far as, you know, what you look like, what you can do, things like that, you know, and then get to the point guards. <clears throat> point guards, ordinarily, you have some some anomalies in there. I'm a little bit of an anomaly, um, and that was kind of the the point of thick. But they're typically smaller, the smallest <laughs> of the 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 lineup. Um, fast, 
fast, you know, just speedy, typically the fast person on the floor and the fastest position on the floor. Um, yeah. And I guess slender, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, some people have different ideals in their mind, but you know, that's kind of what it is. And as a five, eight and three quarters, because everybody's like, you're not five, nine, but five, eight, three quarters. Then, so I don't, I don't get bashed. <laughs> um, as a point guard of that height, I'm already you know, kind of above the curve in that way. Um, I'm not when, especially, especially the way that my body has developed over the years and then add on, you know, strength training and building muscle. I don't necessarily, I don't have like a super petite frame. It's just, but I've gotten to a point where I love my body. I'm, <laughs> it's only when other people feel it necessary to comment on it to where that there's, there goes a hyper awareness piece. It's like, like you look, why you, you know, why do you, why do you have to say it all the time? And, um, but just with all those comments, it kind of just made me think like, what, where's your discomfort? You're fine with it. You know, there are obviously some things you may want to change, but you're, you're okay with that. And, you know, in this moment, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, it becomes more from an athleticism standpoint because obviously, or not obviously, but I'm, it was said throughout the course of this past season, she's not the fastest. She doesn't jump the highest. It's, you know, she's not the most athletic, but I never, but I can get the job done. You know what I mean? So that's, that's how I think. I don't, I don't look at anyone's body and feel the need to comment on it because you never know how people feel about their bodies and, or what kind of comment or that kind of comment, what it can trigger. Um, but again, that just, I think maybe that just comes from my sensitivity, like mental health and just all of that. But, um, yeah, I just felt like I'm doing what I need to do. Why does it matter if I, I'm not five, six? Why, why is that? Why is that all of a sudden an issue? Um, or that I look different than maybe even some of my other teammates who may be taller, like maybe I'm not as slender, you know, but, um, it does, it does play a role more so in the athleticism piece. When you have these or when you had or still manage any mm-hmm. negative thoughts about body image, how, how did you internally manage that? How did you work through that? What was that process like for you? Oof, um, it was, it was an ongoing one because the, the start of thick is a comment that was um, made on a phone call that I took from somebody that I didn't even, I don't even really talk to. Um, I started with that because I just played 45 minutes and had, you know, 35 points and, all, you know, all these good things and a game winner, all, all these great things. And that's what this person felt the need to say to me. And I'm like, it bothered me more so because I allowed myself or I allowed that person to access me because I'm very, I'm very protective of positive energy or the positive energy, my, my bubble, protect your peace. Yes. That's me. (laughs) Protect your peace. It's it's essential. Um, but basically I, I'm like, I thought, not, I thought, but why is this still a conversation? Why is this something that is just following me? I don't understand. I'm doing what I need to do on the basketball court. Clearly my, my weight isn't, isn't affecting that. So what is the issue? And, um, so all season, it was, it was something that I, I thought about. Um, and I, I struggled with eating 
overall. And it's still something that I struggle with now. Um, I don't, I don't really eat regularly. And I, I think I got into a point where I felt so my relationship with food was just so poor to where I just stayed away from it. So like, like the extreme, because I knew that, the way I just know that the way that I feel a lot of the time leads me down this path that I don't want to walk again. I don't, I came back from that. I don't, I don't want to you know, touch that, but um, yeah. So it was a struggle all season. And I think just kind of trying to find it in myself, writing, writing helped um, talking about it helped, but I, I do remember like having those, those phone calls with my mom and saying like, I don't even eat. Like I don't even, but I, I, I still look how I look or, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. Um, it was, it was, it was a lot. And it was, it was just a reminder and that term that is just thrown around so loosely, like did impact me. And a lot of times I, I didn't have the energy to face it, but once the season ended, it took me a while to release thick because it was something that I thought of right after the season. Or as soon as that comment was made, I, I was like, I need to speak on this. But I didn't release thick until months or maybe a few weeks later, um, just because there was still some some discomfort there, some things I had to work through personally. Um, but yeah, I, just talking about it, I guess, helped writing about it, um, expressing it. I really appreciate you finding this a safe enough space to retell that story. And it's okay that you got emotional because it's obviously <laughs> something that is, is close to you. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's fine because for better or for worse, you can label me as emotional also. Um, so, you know, real quick on the body image, uh, what advice would you give to anyone else that is possibly struggling with body dysmorphia, dysmorphia or um, a negative relationship with food? For me, going through, I, I feel like I carried the burden that other people were putting on me from a standpoint of you're not what I think you should be. You don't look how I think you should look. That's not my burden to bear. If you don't like how I look, that's your business. <laughs> I, if I'm okay with me at the end of the day, there's, there's nothing left to be said. So my advice would be for those people who are, who are struggling with body image and all that that may entail, I would just say, uh, don't, everything can't be, can't be carried. You know, you, you don't have the room. Like you, you have enough on your plate. Um, I'd say, I don't want to say, you know, focus on you or anything cheesy like that. It's not cheesy because that, that's important. Focus on you, of course. But it's just more like if you're, you have to work. It takes work. Get so secure in who you are and, and how you look. And it's not, it's never going to be 100%. It's never going to be perfect. Even the people who say they love their bodies. There are some days where they may not love their bodies as much. Um, but try your best to get comfortable enough in your skin to where those comments hit a, hit you like a wall, you know, and they just, they bounce off, they fall to the ground. Um, they can't penetrate that layer that you've, that you've worked to build. 
Jordan, that's so beautifully said. Thank you. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so I want to revisit what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Something that we both share in common is anxiety. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, at the top, I experienced my first anxiety attack when I was 21, 22, when I was had graduated and had my first full-time job. Um, you know, for anyone that's experienced anxiety or anxiety attacks, my physiological symptoms included like shaking, feeling cold, um, just like heartbeat out of control. Like just, I felt like I was going crazy inside my own skin. If you're comfortable sharing, when did you first experience anxiety? What was that experience like? So it was probably two something a.m maybe 2, 3 a.m. I was standing outside of my apartment in Harlem in in New York City, and I'm on the phone uh, with my best friend. And I'm like, I'm crying hysterically. Mind you, this is the night before I was set to go to training camp. So this is July 5th, because it's 2 a.m., July 5th, 2019. I'm like, I can't breathe. I cannot breathe. I needed to leave the house because, you know, it's, it's New York City at 2 a.m. Probably don't want to be outside. I'm not saying the streets are just r- crime ridden, but just in general. Probably don't want to be outside at 2 a.m. anywhere. <laughs> but, um, and I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm crying. And I was like, I, I can't do this. I don't know what's going on. Like, this is crazy. I, I cannot get on a plane tomorrow. I'm supposed to get on a plane. I cannot breathe. Like, I, I'm panicking sheer panic she's like do you do you think you're having like I think you have anxiety she you know she says something along those lines I'm like I have anxiety what do you mean where's this coming from are you diagnosing me but I'm obviously still in a panic so I'm not asking all these questions but that's kind of what ran through my mind and up until that moment I had never called a lot of the things that I experienced anxiety because you when in sport Oh, you're just, you're just a little nervous or, or with anything. Oh, you're just a little, you know, it's just your nerves. And that's something that um, I spoke on. And there's another blog post on my, um, my personal blog um, on a problem.com. So a problem is my brand, but there's a blog component to it. And I said in, in the black community, in the African-American community, a lot of times they'll say, my nerves are bad. Or like, it's my nerves. And as I started to kind of go on this mental health journey and really try, try to understand it and, and break it down and try to um, identify, you know, places that, you know, where, where it manifests itself and things like that. I'm like, that's anxiety. <laughs> that's what that is. We, for so long, just said my nerves, like it's my nerves, my nerves. No, it's anxiety. It's sometimes nerves are natural. Anxious feelings are natural. Anxiety is a is a crunch is is something you deal with, you know, constant not constant, not all the time, but a lot of the time. So she starts saying all these things, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Well, well, how do I fix it? What do I do? How do I? She's like, you know, we need to calm down, like breathe, breathe. And so we probably started breathing on the phone because we did that a lot. But um, it's like, just breathe. You're fine. There's air outside. It's good. It's going to be okay. But that night, I'll never forget that night because, oh my goodness, was I scared. 
But, um, and I, I didn't want to go back in the house either because I'm like, there's no air. There's not enough air in there. I, I need to stay out here, but obviously I, I couldn't because I had to pack or finish packing or get on my things like that. But yeah, that was, that was my first experience with it. Just feeling like I, I couldn't breathe and there was nothing that I could do about it. Do you feel like being able to associate it and put a term to it that like, oh, this is an anxiety attack has been helpful for you for when you do experience it? It's less of an uncontrollable, which is a little ironic because anxiety a lot of times is like the want to need to control, but makes it a little less uncontrollable of like what's happening to me where to now, like I know for myself, I can say, oh, it's an anxiety attack. And then I can talk myself through it that way. Whereas, you know, as it sounds like for both our shared experiences, the first time it happened, it's like, what is happening to my body? I don't know what to do. But once you were able to identify it as anxiety and an anxiety attack, did it become a little bit easier to manage? For sure. For sure. For sure. Um, And it wasn't in that moment, I didn't necessarily accept it. That was that was also a process. Once I returned from uh, USA, I I was finally taken out of a space where there are, you know, I wasn't in collegiate basketball for the summer. I wasn't, I was just at home with my loved ones, my support system, um, playing basketball on my terms. I wasn't, I didn't have any obligations per se. So I wasn't, you know, not forced. That, that sounds bad. <laughs> I wasn't pushed to practice. I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have any, anyone to report to necessarily. So I kind of, I was, I was still having these, these panic attacks, but once I, I kind of started to accept like, okay, okay. Anxiety. So now what? So I, you know, I'm Googling things and just trying to understand it. I'm talking to my best friend about it. Anxiety was something that some of my friends dealt with, but I personally had never called it. I never identified with that, but I, I mean, I empathized with them, but I, I didn't know how it felt. But once I started to put a term to it, I'm like, okay, well, oh my gosh, maybe that was anxiety too. Or maybe that moment when I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a real, this is a thing that I too have experienced. Um, So we are the same in that. But putting a term to it makes those moments. And the thing about anxiety that I don't think people realize in depression and mental health in general, it doesn't look how you think it's supposed to. It, my anxiety, I never know. i in in into the in the thick of it I was thinking the little TikTok into the thick of whatever little song that people <laughs> sang even though I'm not really on TikTok um but in the thick of it I I personified anxiety uh, she she's a, it's a her right she's it's a girl <laughs> but um she's always so I'm going to do it now she's always just showing, giving something else. You know what I mean? It's so unpredictable. And my red shirt year, I would think I had it not under control, but I, I would know when, when I was, you know, there was some anxiety there present, but then all of a sudden something else would happen. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm sick. <laughs> I'm ailing. Like there's something wrong. There's something. But then I took the time to notice when I'd feel these things, I'm like, oh, anxiety. Is that you again? You won't leave me alone. <laughs> Girl, what are you doing here? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, put in a term to it. But but now that I can kind of group all of those those experiences together, it's like, OK, this is the thing. This is something that other people can. I've been having that term is like a unifying 
principle because you're like, oh, well, I, I get chills. I, you know, I have, I sweat, I shake. But if you, there's no term, then it's like, well, I, I get these crazy headaches and I, I, or I have no energy. All the energy is drained from me. You, you don't know that you guys are experiencing the same thing. So I think it's a unifying principle and it, it's so helpful in that way. That is so true. It's true that it, mental health issues don't look or feel like how people think they look. I also have depression. Mine gets triggered from my anxiety. And I sometimes don't realize I'm depressed until I actually look at my physical environment. I'm a very um, clean and meticulous person. Like things have to be in a certain space. And I'll probably feel in a slump. I'll feel really tired. I'll feel unmotivated. And then it's when I look around my home and I see that like things are out of place, dishes are dirty. It's probably a little messy to my standards. That's when I'm like, this is depression. It's because I'm very high functioning. So I think that's a really important lesson that hopefully people can learn from this, that it's not what you think it is. And oftentimes for people that are even super self-aware of their own mental health, that even we sometimes have to take a step back and think, oh, shoot, I like this personification. Here she is. Here she is again. She's here. She's knocking. She's here again. Um, I wanted to touch on anxiety a little bit um, about basketball before we get, you know, towards the end of the show. Mm-hmm. How have you managed anxiety in the postseason, you know, when the stakes are high? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because I, I was actually having this conversation with uh, my strength coach yesterday. We were going through, you know, some stretching and things. And she I think we were just talking about um, like kind of how I feel a little bit. We, we didn't get into the thick, in the thick of it, but, uh, we did kind of surface level. And, um, she, she asked me like, well, what is it? Like just, and then something happened. So we didn't get into it, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, basketball playing, being on the court stakes are high. That doesn't, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to say I wish that were the case, but it doesn't affect me. And I go into, I go into basketball games thinking whatever happens on the court, I'm prepared. Like I, I know what I need to do. I mean, they're going to, it's a game of mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Don't dwell on them. Keep going, but do what you have to do and know that you can do what you need to do when you see fit. But I never having, like, I don't, well, I'm not going to say I never have anxiety. It's not, I have anxious, you know, emotion, but it's not anxiety in itself. So um, off the court, throughout the season, it was just, or in the postseason, I was scared, scared to go to the bubble. Oh my goodness, scared. And I I talked to my mom about it and she's like, and I'm crying on the phone. I'm a cry. Crying is necessary, I personally believe. I'm a crier too. It's okay. (laughs) It's a natural, you have to cry sometimes to get it out. So that's okay. You do. So I'm I'm crying on the phone. My mom, I'm like, I I don't know. Like, I I just, I'm not, I know I'm not okay. Like, I'm okay enough to obviously, you know, be here and do things and, you know, make things work. But the bubble, you're telling me I cannot go outside. I can't go on walks. I can't. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to go crazy in this hotel room. We're, we're just sitting there. We're, we practice for an hour and then we go back in the hotel. Like, I, I can't. I don't I don't know. I don't feel comfortable with this. She's like, OK, I need you to 
breathe. Okay. I breathe, but she's, she's hearing me. And that's the biggest thing I think about mental health. Like when you have people around you that hear you, that see you, that makes all the difference. It truly, truly does. So advice, kind of extraneous piece of advice, find people, surround yourself with people who hear you and see you. And even if they don't themselves experience what you experience or share those experiences, having somebody that, that hears you, sees you is essential. But um, back to what I'm saying. So I was like, I can't, I, you know, just panicking again. And uh, she was like, you are from New York City. Okay. So she, she starts off like this. I'm like, what does have to do with anything? You're from New York City every day. You go out, you go out into the world, get on the train, go to Queens, walk to school, just out, you're just out. Anything can happen. You, you know, you know your way around, like, you know, it's, it's like a, like a survival thing is what she was trying to say. Like New York City is not an easy place to live. Like being outside two in the morning, probably not, probably not the best idea, like things of that nature. So she starts talking about this and she's like, so this conversation kind of, it calms me down, but I I really didn't, but she was just, you know, being her mom and being mom and saying, FaceTime me, you know what I'm saying? FaceTime, FaceTime Jeff, FaceTime, whoever you need to FaceTime, talk about it. Like just do bring, make sure you bring everything you need. Make sure, you know, bring your camera, bring whatever you need, do whatever you have to do to make sure you're okay. Like, and I'm here, like, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. But it wasn't until the next day when we went, when we drove to San Antonio, where I was, I was on the bus and I, I'm writing and I, you know, I'm just, I, when I write, I kind of talk to myself a little bit. Um, so I'm not like a dear diary girl, but I'll say like, Jay, you know, breathe something like that. Or, or I use terms of endearment with myself and things like that, just because it's, it creates a safe kind of warm space. So, and, I, and I'm like, so I'm kind of building on what my mom started or what she, what she said. And what I took from that was, I, I called, I said like, cut for chaos, like made for madness. And I like flipped them, like made for chaos, cut for madness. And it was more, it wasn't a play on like March madness, but it was more from a perspective of there are so many things that I've encountered, that I've seen, that I've dealt with, like this or whatever I see on the court, whatever I feel in this, you know, those moments in the hotel room, like it pales in comparison. And that's how I approach things. Like I have being, or even think of physical workout. Like sometimes you you just get kind of nervous for a workout. And I'm like, this is not going to come close to what I felt that night standing in front of my house, feeling like I couldn't breathe and feeling I had no control over my body or anything like that. Like it pales in comparison. The things that I've seen or experienced in my, you know, in my past is nothing and it's not going to, it makes the bubble seem small. It makes the bubble seem almost insignificant. So I kind of, embrace that now. Um, but that kind of helped me in the postseason. truly. Um, just knowing like I had been through so much worse for much longer than however long we were going to be in the bubble. 
That's really interesting perspective. I always wondered, because I mean, we all, you know, all the different bubbles. I could only imagine, you know, you see a lot of people that were withdrawing, not going, the mental aspect that a lot of people that just can't relate, don't understand. I can relate and I could not imagine, but it's good to hear. It sounds like you had, you had some outlets, some creativity, your writing, your camera, things that you were able to prioritize for self-care. You made it out alive. That is the good news. Yes. Um, I wanted to kind of lastly on the, you know, postseason and anxiety, we see a lot, Naomi Osaka being a perfect example, a lot of athletes that are um, exactly sort of <laughs> politely declining or refusing to speak with media because of anxiety. I'm very curious to hear what that feels like for you or if media availability and obligation is something that uh, maybe triggers anxiety, especially in the postseason with extra media attention. Sort of if you're if you're willing, talk me through what that's like being an athlete and having to speak to media, maybe when you don't want to. Understood. So, um, well, one, Naomi Sack is a queen. Love her. Great. Um, Simone Biles, uh, Elizabeth Cambage, WNBA. Like, I have so much respect for them as athletes, of course, but as women. Um, they're my role models, essentially. So, but to speak on the media thing, I personally like to address groups of people. And it's, I don't know where it comes from. Like, my, I don't, so a lot of people have a fear of public speaking. I kind of, do I get, do I, yes. Do I get nervous? Of course. But I address the room of maybe like four or 500 people, the top uh, 500 donors, um, Texas A&M Athletics for the 12th Man Foundation. And when I stood on the podium, I was like, let's do it. Like I wrote on my paper, like, relish in this and I you know started just just, you know spewing whatever I had to say um but I I like that kind of thing so for me that's kind of what uh interviews are or media is I'm getting an opportunity to express myself or answer the questions in my way you know and and have that reach a broader audience and I knowing what dealing with anxiety is, even though I may not relate in that particular arena, I sympathize. I empathize because it's, it's in being Naomi Osaka, like people want to talk to you. People are hounding you. They are coming after you. They can, I have a statement answer this question. I can't even imagine what that's like because Iowa State was the most media attention I've ever received in my life. Like, and I wasn't, it was, it was cool for me, but I didn't, I mean, yes, it was a lot, but I, it doesn't, I'm sure it's, it's nothing compared to what she, what she experiences. So I can only imagine like, it's just overwhelming. Um, but you do, I will say this, it does deplete you. Like your energy after a couple of interviews, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> but then it's like, oh yeah, four more five more or you have you you know you have a call with this person oh this person wants to have you on a pod or um somebody wants to do a quick quick radio interview 
all kinds of things. So, I mean, being an athlete and it's, it's part of it, especially when you're as good as she is, right. You know, a great, um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it is part of it, but I, I have so much, again, respect for her for saying, no, I need a second. And because what good is she going to be to anyone? And, and I don't mean the sports population in the sense of, you know, her fans or anything, but to, to her partner, you know, to her family, her friends, if she is not okay. And that's the thing I don't think, I think people fail to realize nobody is going to perform hundred percent if they're not okay. Nobody is going and for those, for fans who are like, or the people who um, talk about the, you know, Naomi, Elizabeth or Simone being uh, selfish they they're entertainers but they're people they're people just like you and I they're people you know what I'm saying so um we can't she's she wasn't okay and she said I I want to be okay so I'm gonna take all the time that I need and if you don't like it you don't like it but again she's secure enough in herself to where she can she can do things like that yeah I mean listen I joked about this on Twitter a couple months ago. I did two podcast interviews in one day and I was drained. drained. I was exhausted. So I cannot imagine doing that and then going to perform at the highest level and have everybody watching me. So I think a lot of people that have not had the opportunity to probably reflect on themselves or go through a mental health journey, realize it requires so much emotional space. It is so exhausting. And then you still have to perform or you just performed. Maybe you lost, maybe you won. It doesn't matter. You're mentally drained and now you have to speak, which is just as mentally draining. So that is wonderful perspective. One last thing I wanted to touch on and I think would be interesting because it's an aspect of sports and being an athlete that a a lot of people probably don't realize. What is transferring like? What does that do mentally, especially when you have to sit out a year? We can talk about those rules later at a different time. Um, Especially when you talked about it at the top of the show, for you personally, you had rooted your identity in basketball. So having to sit out a year when you transferred What's that experience like? I've said this not to too many people, but I, I'm 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 saying it now because I stand by it. Being a red shirt, if not for medical reasons or um, having it be a choice that you make, because sometimes you know scholarships like, oh, you're not going to play, so don't burn this year of eligibility. You know things like that. Okay, fine. Or for any other like pertinent thing it's like not being able to somebody judging your story and saying mind you transferring is only or having to redshirt because of transferring is only in women's or is only in basketball and was it football I think maybe two sports other sports you have the one-time transfer like you're good so redshirting is not I would not recommend like it is not something that If I had the choice, I would have done. No way, no how. And I say that because you still deal with all of the demands. 
you still lift, you still condition, you still practice, you still have to do your work. You're still expected to uphold or to meet this standard. The only thing you don't do is compete. And arguably that's not necessarily the best part, but it's part of that's the fun. There's a lot of fun in competing and going out there with your team and or individually and reaping the the you know the benefits of your labor like that's why you work out you work out to perform well you, you that that's the whole thing you prepare to perform and my redshirt year I told you it, it was difficult it was turbulent it was long daunting like all the all the synonyms <laughs> it was such a difficult time for me and Initially, so I I talked about talking to my mom in the spring of 2020 about what I had been experiencing and her, you know, kind of hearing me for for the first time and truly, truly hearing me. But I had mentioned some of the things that I was experiencing prior to that that moment or that period in time. And it was like her response was, it's just because you're not playing. And I at first I, I, I was like, well, yeah, like that makes sense to me. But then there was a little voice like, I don't know about that. I, I don't know that I'm experiencing these panic attacks or having ch- like literally not being able to focus for a long for long periods of time without my like starting to, to like tremble or you know just having all these physiological symptoms. Um, and I I I just say that to say like. Sport doesn't, for me, it doesn't calm those storms. Basketball is for in this arena, as far as being a collegiate athlete and the, um, in a, at a power five school and playing in the SEC, it's not a, it doesn't necessarily relax me. It doesn't help me get through those moments. It, no, not at all, actually. So going through that redshirt year, just not being able to compete. I still went on all the trips. I was still very much involved in everything that was going on, but I was just kind of there. Uh, as the season goes on, you, you're you a part of the team, but you, you never truly feel, or I never truly felt 100% there. Close, but, but not necessarily there, just because I wasn't out there in those games helping them win working towards that goal with them. I could prepare them and I took great pride in that and preparing the team well in practice. Um, but I, I had no control in games. And that was one of the things that I kind of relished in this last season and just having an opportunity to impact the score, to impact um, our overall level of play. But my but being a redshirt is, is extremely, or it was extremely difficult for me. Some people, I've heard this, some people have amazing redshirt years, like just love it. They was like, oh yeah, I get to go to practice, but I don't have to, uh, I don't have to. that was not me. <laughs> that was not me. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that experience on, on my worst enemy. It was, it made me, I am, I, I'm not who I am right now without that experience. But <laughs> it was, yeah, it was intense. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine. And I am so incredibly grateful for you for sharing all of these experiences. 
you're so smart, you're so self-aware, you're so sound at your age, all the things we're talking about, I just discovered in my last, you know, year and a half of life, and we're only 10 years apart, but I'm just so amazed by how self-aware you are and how you've really prioritized this journey for yourself early on. It's so important. Thank you for joining. Before we close, what I ask everyone, and I would love to know from you, is the name of the show is Amplified. What is a cause or passion that you want amplified? What is a cause or passion that I want amplified? That is a great question. Um, Well, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for having me because the Twitter post, a guy that I never met before, at least I don't think I did. I apologize to that man if I had, if we have met, but when he tagged me in and I'm like, what is this that this person is tagging me in? And I'm like, oh, I have to comment. I have, I have to do it. If I'm shooting my shot, right? I'm shooting my shot. And then when you know what you said, I'm like, no way. I'm just, I, you know, call my mom, whatever. And, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. Um, like I said, I, I really enjoy kind of addressing people just because I feel like, you know, words have can have such an impact, like an, a, a great impact on people. And um, I mean, yeah, I just I, I want to share my experience. Just if I can, if this can reach one person and change the way that they perceive themselves or kind of, you know, help them take a step in their journey, start their journey complete their journey, whatever it is, that'll mean the world to me. Um, but yeah, so I just want to start with that. I, I recently discovered what my passion is. So I guess I'll share that. My, I have a passion for being a resource for people, whether that's a source of advice or, you know, mentorship advice, um, love, kindness, just anything that people need from me. Not at the expense of self, of course, never. Mm, we're not, we're done with that. Um, I want to be able to provide or I want to be a conduit for connecting people with the people that they may need to help them on their journeys and, and of all, you know, of any kind. So I think just building, I, I think being true to who we are as individuals is is so essential in building community um and and just connecting people overall so i i guess just being true to oneself i would encourage people to to live in their truth whatever that may look like and the good the bad the ugly like all of it because it's it's it was what makes you who you are and that's what essentially being being a problem is all about like basking in in um your story all of the details, even the ones that you want to forget, uh, it's you're not you without those things. And you talk about using all of the, the negative things and, and turning it and repurposing it into your power. Like that's the whole premise of a problem. Like there are negative connotations with it. But you, if you repurpose it in the way that we do, it's it's empowering um, and there's it's be a problem and shake the world and shaking the world is all about fulfilling your purpose, like extrapolating all the, every, like squeezing out all of your juice in the sense of like your, all of your essence and making something, making something of, of your situation. So um, be true to yourself. That's what I want to amplify. I love that. That is 
So wonderful. And I can tell you now, Jordan, your goal of somebody learning something, starting their journey, completing their journey after listening to this episode, you're going to reach more than one person because everything you've shared is wonderful perspective. It's so important. I've learned a lot. I know other people are going to learn a lot and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. All episodes can be found on Apple, Spotify, or any preferred podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Meg Reyes underscore. You can find Jordan on Twitter at Shake Jordan and on Instagram at X-I-N-J dot J-Nix. Also be sure to check out her brand, A Problem. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends, share on your Instagram story, tweet to the world, all that good stuff. Amplified is a Blue Wire production. Shout out to the wonderful women who helped make this happen. Production and editing were done by Laura Stickles and visuals were created by Alyssa Claren.